0: chapter 18 beginning at verse 9 it's the parable of the pharisee and the tax collector to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else jesus told this parable two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector the pharisee stood by himself and prayed God, I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers evildoers adulterers or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get but the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said God have mercy on me a sinner I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God
1: Okay, good morning, everyone. Now, I think this is my turn. <laughs> so, uh, Hallelujah. It's so nice and wonderful to be here. Just when we were praying and worshiping there, I just started to think at uh, the time that we came to St. Paul's, August 2019 and um i can't forget those days have you all wonderful people opened your arms for all of for us for me and Shara, and it was a wonderful moment for us and especially spending time with you all was and still is one of the beautiful things in our heart and in our life so that's why i'm so thankful for St. Paul's, for tom and all the leadership here at St. Paul's. so some of you may heard that we were on mission with Flame International. So I just want to take this moment to say big thank you for all your prayers, supports, and all your kindness messages. So the group of, uh, I think, roughly 20 Iranian leaders, they, they came to this seminar and we had lovely time with them. And uh, actually we have witnessed the transformation of uh, their life and how God and Holy Spirit the Trinity the true God actually healed them through their teachings and our prayer times and I'm sure that Jan uh, will uh, share lots of things about this I don't want to spoil the testimonies and everything but she will probably and definitely she will talk about this so I just wanted to say thank you but I have to admit that I recently had a quite adventure me and shara together uh, so when we returned when we returned from istanbul to united kingdom gatwick airport we noticed that so uh, uh, our, our luggages uh, wanted to extend their vacation in istanbul <laughs> so we without us so there is i was back home feeling like i would lost everything i had lost everything i mean i was even panicking because I realized that on Sunday, I have to preach and I don't have trousers. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, before you imagining me preaching in my pajamas, uh, let me clarify that I did have some trousers, but thanks to the irresistible allure of baklava and Turkish food in Turkey, none of them feed anymore. So it's like my trousers went on diet without me. So, but you know what's amazing, miraculously, when I opened my drawer, I find this trouser, hallelujah, and it was God's provision for me, so every time he has plans for us, and even for something like cheese, trousers, and biscuits, and the food, and those sort of things, God is great, and God is good all the time, and I know that uh, you're familiar with that as well. So, I want to talk about the parable of tax collector and Pharisee, uh, so, and I just want to, uh, the sermon is not about my trousers. the sermon is about the parable of Pharisee and tax collector, and, I, and why I think this parable is very important, um, we have lots of, you heard lots of sermons about different parables, but there is specifically something unique about this parable. And it's not just about our relationship with each other, that's great, but on the other hand, this parable talks about the end time theology, the doctrine of justification, and why this theology, this doctrine, is important nowadays for all of us. So in this way, before, inter- before dwelling into this parable, I just want to talk with you briefly about the context of this parable. So, when we hear the story, most of us are used to thinking about Pharisees in a negative way. Even in a popular culture, if the word Pharisees is used, it's always going to be someone who is self-righteous, or someone who is hypocritical, or whatever. But during the Jesus day, in that time, when people heard a story about Pharisees and tax collectors, they, Im- they immediately would have thought of that of that of the Pharisee as the good guy and the tax collector was the bad guy. The tax collectors were notorious for working as a Jewish people for the Roman government. They collected taxes from Jewish people and even added extra charges they weren't just doing their job as their, as, at the tool of both. They act like extortionists, taking more than they should have. They did everything possible to take advantage of the people, of people. So they were truly considered lowlifes, criminals, and outcasts. In contrast, the Pharisees were like the upstanding citizens of the community. They were the best church members. Or in other way, they were the best synagogue members. They would have been the leaders in the community and also in the everywhere. The Pharisees were the people you and I would once as our neighbors. And they were the moral, clean living, conservatives, godly people of of that day. So my question is this. When Jesus tells this story, what is his point? It is shocking story to all those who hear it. So let's try to dig into this parable and uncover what Jesus here is teaching to us. And I want to give you a threefold outline as we try to dig in. So my first point is about Pharisees' boastful prayer. So look first of all at the boastful Pharisees' prayer in verse 10 to 12. So let me read that again. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, exhaustionists, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give titus of all I get." So one of the points is that in, about, the prob- about the problem with his prayer is this prayer is very self-referential and actually even self-righteous. Notice in the, I noticed in his prayer that he used a first-person pronoun. I, five times, in just a few sentences. It is very self-referential. God, I thank you that I'm a good person. I thank you that... I'm Pharisee. I thank you that I'm citizen. I thank you that I'm not from this part of the city. I thank you that I'm this, I'm that. Lots of eyes are there. That's how this man is in his prayer. But he's sincere. And I don't want to miss this. Jesus, Jesus says nothing about this man to indicate here that he is hypocritical. Nothing about his attitude here. There is nothing about this. He is sincere. He is completely agree, and he is so confident that what am I saying? That what am I praying is just, and I'm doing all of them. I'm trying to do everything that I'm praying here. It can be very hard for us to understand that, but for him, it was so wonderful because he was aware that what he is praying. This is why self-righteousness can be subtle. It can be subtle because we can feel like we are good. We are good enough. I personally believe that the Pharisee had beautiful religious feelings when he went to the temple. But the real issue when this man's righteousness is that he based it solely on external factors. As a counselor, if this guy wants to come to me, and if he wants to talk, and he, as soon as he starts to talk about his own life, I, I, I can say that you are completely okay. Don't worry, man. You are completely okay. You are doing well. You are a good person. You are fighting. You are a well-known citizen. And there is no wrong with you. Because I can't see the things that God can see. And God sees God saw his heart. So that's why the problem with this prayer is this, it's very self-righteous and it's about himself, not God. So here is the Pharisee, but let me continue with my second point, the tax collector's plea for mercy. In contrast to this Pharisee, our friend, you have the cry or the plea of tax collector. It's so simple. It's just seven words in English, and I did check last night six words in Greek. Look at what Jesus says about him in verses 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He stands far off, maybe he is he, all the way in the outer court of the Gentiles at the temple, but he's certainly not drawing near where to more religious or pious people would be. He would not even lift up his head, his eyes to heaven. The standard posture for prayer at the temple in those days was lifting up our eyes to heaven. The standard expectation was that. But he was so humble. He was grieving. He couldn't do that. And he just said that, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. But he wouldn't do that, as I said. Instead, he bowed over and began beating his chest. Let me tell you about the culture of Middle Eastern people. So that's interesting, because for Middle Eastern people, it is a sign of anguish, sorrow, and grief. Culturally, this was was usually an outward sign of emotion that was only used by women in our culture. But a man would never do that. A man would never do this in public, because of patriarchal culture. He would never beat his chest, his breast, It was too old for, it was too expressive. But here is the man, and he is beating on his chest because of the anguish that he feels. Then he prayed, then he prays for mercy. And this also is quite interesting because the word that's used here, be merciful to me, a sinner, or have mercy on me, a sinner, that word is not a usual word used for mercy in Greek. Interestingly, it's not the word that's used for example, later on this chapter when someone comes to Jesus asking for mercy. This is the word that is used only one other time in the New Testament, and that is found in Hebrew chapter two, verse 17, which talks about Jesus as a merciful, uh, uh, I mean, a priest, and also his priest, priestly work. This is what it says. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. For what? In the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. So this is the link between merciful Jesus and the act of propitiation. And, when we are, we are, and these words have, have the same root when this poor guy prayed, Lord, have mercy on me. He was just praying. He was not just praying to get mercy from someone. He was just praying in this way that, Lord, I know that I can't do anything for myself. I know that I'm miserable. I'm a bad guy. I did lots of wrong things. I have done lots of wrong things in my life. And I know that I can't do anything for myself, so that's why I want to came, I want to come to you. And I want to ask your healing, your mercy, oh merciful Jesus, oh merciful God, heal my wounds, heal my souls. When this man prays, he's not simply praying for mercy, he's praying for mercy through atonement. He's praying, God, atone my sin, atone for my sin, be merciful to me, cover my sins. And he seems to know that he needs to be forgiven and that the only way, that is the only way he can be forgiven is through the sacrifice of atonement. This is the doctrine of justification. And that's why this parable is really important. Let me share you a story uh, from, I mean, uh, it goes back to 20 years ago when I just started my ministry, when I came to Christ. Uh, So one of my colleagues and my friend, he had vision. And it was our vision to establish a center for drug-addicted individuals, providing them with free services marked by non-judgment and positive regard. In those days, this project was an immense undertake, undertaking. From the outset, the church encountered, encountered numerous challenges, including the lack of trust, lack of support from government side, and even persecution. It was a costly endeavor encompassing expenses such as renting a large building, covering covering medical treatments, providing food, and maintaining a heating system. The founder of this project, my friend and my pastor, Brother Henry, which, which he died in Istanbul a couple of years ago, he had battled drug addiction in his youth. So he approached the board with a solution. And he declared, I'm going to knock on every door as my savior instructs me. And he will provide us with everything we need. So he went to knock all the doors. So for the first one, he went to the Assyrian representative in the Iranian parliament, Assyrian MP. And he shared his testimony with him and he said that I have this vision and I need your support because without your support we can't run this center. So the representative, however, expressed disbelieves in miracles and presented a chilling alternative solution. Suddenly he, many singly, pointed a gun at my friend and he said, because Iranian MPs, they can have guns. So they pointed, he pointed a gun, gun to my friend and he said to him, the only way to deal with these rubbish people and their impact on society is to shoot them. One bullet is enough for these people. So Brother Henry said, suddenly I remembered all my memories as a drug addicted person. Homeless person, disappointed and hopeless. Suddenly I turned to him in tears and I said to him that, Look at me, Mr. Senator. I was one of those lost souls you wish to eliminate. However, I have been clean for over a decade, not by your support, but by God's grace. After a while, he continued his ministry from his home and eventually constructed the building, and he named that building House of Hope. And it was a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ in his office and with a beautiful uh, breathing coat underneath of that picture. And guess what was that coat? By a bullet, you can't save people, but with just a drop of Jesus' blood, people like us are saved. You can't save people with bullets. You can't save people by force. But you can't save people by drop of by a drop of Jesus' blood, and this is the justification. We can't do anything. The only thing we need is to come to, into His presence and praise and repent and say that God, I need Your power. I can't do anything. So my last point is Jesus is about Jesus' shocking point. So. Let's, let's dwell into the final and perhaps the most astonishing aspect of this parable. This is the heart of the matter, the punchline of the parable, and it might just shock you and I. In verse 14, Jesus declares, I tell you this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbled himself will be exalted. This is Jesus' powerful message. It's all about justification and salvation. The first application is related to salvation. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that being right with God, being justified is not achieved through adherence to the law. Piety, religious rituals, morality, or good works. It's not about how good we are. This message emphasized that the only way for us to be saved is through faith in Jesus' sacrificial work on the cross. It's about trusting in Jesus and his finished work with all our hearts. This foundational truth is at the core of Christian belief. The second one is about our life and our relationship. Beyond salvation, Jesus' shocking message applies to our entire Christian life, especially in the realm of servanthood and relationship. Jesus reiterates this principle multiple times in his teachings, emphasizing that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbled himself will be exalted in Gospel Matthew chapter 23 verses 11 to 12, you can read that. This grace of humility which characterizes the repentant sinner who relies on God's mercy for salvation should naturally extend to our relationship with others. Self-righteousness and pride, pride manifest as a contempt for other, leading to lack of humility and disdainful attitudes. This absence of a humble spirit hinders us from serving, showing compassion, and caring for those around us, like drug-addicted people, homeless ones, and just our neighbors. So let us ask ourselves here, at the end, what should this look like in our lives? Do I have the humble heart of a servant? I think it is really interesting in this parable that the way it's worded, Jesus doesn't actually say, that, say the humble will be exalted. He doesn't use the noun. He doesn't say the humble will be exalted. He says he who humble himself will be exalted. That's the action. It's not just a quickly quality of your heart, but... But the expression of that in action, it's when you humble yourself, you actively do things that humble yourself. Then you are exalted. I just want to finish uh, with a quotation from Martin Luther. In a bold generalization, one time he said, There are only two sort of people in the world. Sinners who think themselves righteous, and the righteous who think themselves sinners. What kind of person are you? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would take these heart-piercing words of Jesus and apply them to each one of us personally. Father, help us to see ourselves more clearly Help us to uh, to see our sins in such a way that self-righteousness and pride is stripped away and we humble ourselves before your face, before your throne. May the experience then of your mercy and your grace through Jesus Christ be so transforming in our lives that humility as growing, increasing, humility we w- we are all in process here but may th- this growth in humility be the characteristic dominant note in our lives in our relationship with one another we need your grace and we ask you to give that to us this morning as we come to this place May we come with humble hearts, looking away from ourselves to the ones and for all finish, finished sacrifice of Jesus Christ. May we draw near to you through faith in his blood, and we may and may we experience your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.